You are listening to a weekend message from New Life Church in Fort Smith. We would love to connect with you, so find us on Instagram or Facebook at NLC Fort Smith. Enjoy the message. Anyway, I am ready to teach you the Word. Are y'all ready to listen to the Word? Y'all ready to soak it up? Come on, who loves God's Word in here? Anybody? Okay. I want to talk to you about uh, an important topic, and I want to read this verse to you. And then we'll get into it. But look at Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. It says this, Mark 1, verse 16. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, Come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now listen, I want to talk to you about this invitation of a lifetime where Jesus says, follow me. Not just, hey, come say a salvation prayer. I mean, come and follow me, okay? And this is is the invitation he gave these guys. Uh, Basically, come follow me and you'll never be the same. And they did it. Have you ever wondered, like, why did they actually follow him? Like, why would they just drop their nets and follow this dude named Jesus? I'm going to get into that a little bit here in a moment. But before I do, I want, to, uh, I want to talk to you about the heart of your church, the heart of New Life Church. Uh, by the way, let me, can I just brag on your pastors, Brandon and Jessica? I mean, these guys, listen, we love them so much. I don't know if you know this, you probably do, but they are some of the most authentic leaders in the world, okay? And also, they lead with integrity. So you guys are blessed here. And where, Nick, I don't know where he's at right now, but Nick, Nick Burton is like the MVP around here. I'm telling you, I saw him before the services started, he was helping me. And then I see him playing bass. I'm in between services. He's over here teaching a class in between services. I'm like, there's no way he's going to be playing bass next service. I get in here. He's still teaching a class somehow. And then he's on bass as well. I'm like, what is going on? This man is crazy, okay? So anyway, all that to say, you guys have an incredible team of pastors. Give it up for them as well. We, we just love them so much. But the heart of all of those people, the heart of our church, okay? Pastor Rick, all of us, look, we want really good things for you guys. We want you to be healthy in all ways possible. We want you to be prosperous. Your kids not going crazy. That's always a bonus, right? All these, we want good things for you. But if we could sit down with each person in our church, and we have done this many times, but we could just really ask you like, what, what, just one thing we'd want to know as pastors from you, that would be this. How is your walk with Christ going? How are you progressing in this life with Christ, right? You're following him. How's it going? And so this message I'm titling it, A Life of Discipleship. A Life of Discipleship. And so this is a talk, a word to the church. Sometimes we speak to, to the lost people in the crowd. Sometimes we speak to saved people. This is definitely, definitely a word for people who are saved. And here's why I love talking about this topic of discipleship. Because at the end of your life, this is going to matter a lot. All right? One day, listen, we have to live with the goal in mind, the goal of our life. You could say the goal of our life is to bring glory to God. Amen? You could also say it's bringing as many people to heaven as possible, right? But I'm going to just sum it up. The ultimate goal of your life is to one day hear these words from the Lord. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Imagine hearing that from him. Well done. You have been faithful. Now enter into my joy. 
that I have for you. This is the goal. And so it helps us. Listen, it helps your life to keep that goal in the forefront of everything you're doing in your workplace, in your just the things you do for entertainment, uh, everywhere you go, school, in your in your family, just having this goal in front of you because it helps. It's a lot like the way Kamani and I were selling our home right now. Has anyone ever tried to sell a house? Is it a little bit of work? Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work, right? But you got to keep the goal in mind. It's funny, just during the first service, Kamani got a text and she knew this was going to happen. Some people said, can we come see your house today? Oh, really? When? At 4 o'clock? Yeah, we're just in Fort Smith. Super Bowl's at 7 or whatever. It's fine. Come on over. And so she calls up our other boys who are at the house. Get the kitchen clean now. I know it's like a slop ditch. Y'all were there last night cooking. So get it clean. Right? It is a lot of work. Do y'all agree? But here's the thing. I keep the goal in mind is that we're going to sell our home. It's the same with everybody in here in life. You have to think of it this way. One day, my goal is to hear those words from the Lord Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. And as pastors, we want everybody in here. We want you to hear those words, okay? Let's go back to these original disciples and why, why they followed Jesus in the first place. I'm going to point out a few things you may already know. Maybe you don't. But at that time, Jesus was already a well-known and well-respected rabbi of his day a rabbi, a teacher. Pharisees recognized him as a rabbi. Other rabbis recognized him uh, as, as a teacher. And so to be selected as a disciple of a rabbi in that day, that was a big deal for the future of a young man. It was like getting a full-ride scholarship to Yale or to Harvard or even to LSU. <laughs> y'all thought y'all got rid of us all, didn't you? When Marcus, nope, nope, you didn't get rid of us all. Here we are. Rabbis had a selection process for the disciples. Believe me, none of us in here, we probably wouldn't make the cut. It was intense. And every young Jewish boy started this process, but only the ones that could survive the process were selected because the first test was memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Now, I don't know if anybody in here could do that. I'm, on a good day, I, I can memorize John 3.16. You know, but once you got past that test, then it got really hard. Okay, so, so this is how it was for, for the disciples of rabbis. And Jesus, he, he knew all, all of this about the process. He knew all this. But when it came to selecting his disciples, he didn't do it the way the other rabbis did. He didn't just select people who were most likely to succeed. He selected some ordinary, some average guys. And uh, it's pretty interesting to me. Uh, some of the people that we already mentioned were like that. Simon. Simon was a fisherman. He didn't make the cut, obviously, for, for the typical rabbi. And here's Jesus. And he says, look, Peter, or he was known as Simon then. He said, I know, I know, I know you didn't make the cut. I know, I know you didn't pass middle school, whatever. But I want you to follow me. Of course, Simon dropped his nets and followed him. And oh, by the way, his name is changed to Peter later on by Jesus. And Peter ends up being the apostle whose shadow is healing the sick. It's pretty incredible for an average guy, right? How about another guy named Levi? You remember him in the Bible? Levi was a tax collector. This is what he did for a living. Typically, they were scum. They were traitors of their own people. And Jesus sees him and says, hey, follow me. I want you. I want you to be my disciple. Follow me. Of course, he left all his stuff behind. And 
His name was changed as well by Jesus to Matthew, and he, he wrote one of the Gospels. We're going to read some of what he wrote today. Here's why I'm saying all this. Look at me. Jesus is still choosing ordinary people, even broken ones, to be his disciples, and he's inviting you to follow him, and he's using ordinary people to do extraordinary things in his kingdom. Amen? But here's the kicker. There's a process. Like, there's something we buy off on when we're going to become followers of Christ. It's not just a salvation prayer one day. No, it's now I'm going to follow Jesus. And Jesus has a process to it. And if you want to be his disciple, you got to cooperate with the process. The Holy Spirit is in charge of the whole thing. He empowers you to do it. The churchy word for this process is called sanctification. All right? And so... Our greatest desire as pastors is to see you move along in this process. And everybody in this room, y'all look at me for a second. Everybody in here, I promise you, is, is somewhere on the spectrum of this discipleship process under Jesus. Okay, on one end, one extreme end, you've got a person who says, I'm not a disciple of Christ and I don't claim to be one. Or right there with those folks are people who would say, you would say, oh, I believe in Jesus. But your faith in him does not affect your daily life at all in any way. All you do is believe in him, but, but it doesn't change the way you think, the way you act, the words you say, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, nothing, okay? That's one end of the spectrum. Over here on the opposite end of the spectrum of discipleship is you wake up every, every day and your whole goal is to please God. It's your joy. It's how you're satisfied in life. You're not perfect. However, you, you tend to exude the fruit of the Spirit in your life, and you spread the life of God. This is, the, this is the other end of the spectrum. And again, what we want to see you guys doing is just moving along, you and your family, growing, moving forward in that. Amen? So here's what I want to do with the rest of the time we have. I want to talk to you about this process. Let's talk about the steps of being a disciple. And I know it's not, not a topic that's going to make you hoop and holler. Like, yeah, like money cometh or whatever topic you might really get excited about. But no, let's talk about what's most important. That's the steps of being a disciple. And I'm going to spell these out in a linear fashion, but can I, can I give a disclaimer? Sometimes we have to revisit these steps, especially in certain areas of our lives. And, and you're going to see what I'm talking about. Oh, by the way, also each one of these steps begins with the letter L because I'm a pastor. And that's how we do it. Okay, write this down. Number one, first step of discipleship is leaving. Leaving. We all have to leave something. And I think this might be the hardest step. Leaving. It's a lot like when you're packing up and trying to leave your house on vacation. Okay? How many of y'all know that's hard? <laughs> when Kamani and I do this, we're going on a family vacation. I'm telling you, it's like it takes us forever to actually get out of the driveway with our family. So when we say, hey, hey, we're going to leave at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, what that really means is that's the first time we're getting in the car, <laughs> okay? Because I'm telling you, I've got to get back in the car 17 more times after 11 o'clock. It's just difficult to leave, and I think it's like that in many areas in our life. But know this, none of those who ever followed Jesus were able to continue their life as they knew it. And that's the same for you and I. It's exactly the same. That is called the cost of discipleship. Can I get a better amen in Fort Smith, right? The cost of discipleship. Galatians 2.20, listen to this verse. My old self. Everybody say, my old self. It's being crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, so here you have it, the leaving step. You can either keep living the way you've always lived or you can follow Jesus. But you cannot do both. This is what this is saying. All right, and so what are the things that we leave? Well, I'll just give you some examples. Some of the things we leave are things in which we place our sense of identity. We at least have to be willing to leave those things behind. Okay, and so for, for Simon, it was his nets. For Levi, it was his money and the way he made money. Um, look, these guys dropped everything. In fact, I already showed you that for them, Jesus changed their name. That's true discipleship right there. Jesus, you can do whatever you want in my life. You can even change my name. I'm in it with you. I'm following you. But for me, uh, where I placed my identity growing up, I could have said that was getting good grades in school. I was a good student, so I could have found my identity in that. Being an engineer, I mentioned that that was a career of mine. Uh, pastoring, I could find my identity in pastoring or just success or whatever. For you, though, it, it may be some role you have in your career uh, maybe success, business success. Maybe it's being a parent, a mom or a dad. Or maybe it's the way that your kids perform in athletics or in academics, whatever. This is how you derive your identity. It's, it's what you, you, you place your sense of worth even in. And listen, these things are not necessarily wrong, but to be a disciple, I have got to be willing to no longer base my identity in those things, but where? In Christ alone. That's it. I'm a Christ follower. That identifies me, okay? And God's also calling you to leave some things that are hindering you, some things that hold you back. What kind of things are those? Well, relationships. Maybe some sinful relationships. Sin in general in your life. Things that have a stronghold. Uh, habits, lifestyles. He says you got to leave those behind. 1 Peter 2.9, look at this. But you are a chosen people. How many of y'all believe you're a chosen people? Come on, raise your hand if you believe you're a chosen people. Good, about half of y'all. That's awesome. Hey, listen, you're all a chosen people if you're Christ followers. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, which means set apart, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of what? Say it together. Out of what? See, he's called us out of darkness and into something, into his wonderful light. This is the life of a disciple. We're leaving darkness behind. So he wants you to stop trying to do the God things and the world things at the same time. What his desire is in this leaving step is that you want God's presence more than anything else on the earth. That's what you want. Okay? That's leaving. And that's the first step of being a disciple. What's the next one? Learning. Write that one down. Learning. And th this is what most people think of when they think of being discipled or learning from someone. It's learning, okay? But it might be a little bit, a little bit different style of learning than, than what you're thinking. But Matthew 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 28. Let's look at that in verse 29. Levi wrote this. Then Jesus said, come to me. Y'all remember these words, right? Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and you carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. I'm so glad that verse is in the Bible. But look at this next verse. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. There's that invite. 
Come on, let me teach you. Be my disciple. Because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, time out. Most people, when they hear the word yoke, and you may understand this, you might have heard this taught, but, but most people think of, well, that thing on the back of an ox, right? So you must be talking about something to do with a burden or whatever. Actually, the people in his day would have understood what Jesus meant because when a rabbi would have referred to his yoke, it meant his interpretation of Scripture. So now it's making a lot of sense, right? Jesus says, hey, hey, let me teach you. Come and be my disciple and learn my view of life. Let me teach you my viewpoint. And notice that when we do that, we're learning his viewpoint. What comes out of it? Rest. Rest. You, can, you get to leave all the exhaustion behind because you're seeing the, the life that he has for you from his viewpoint. In fact, Jesus, he has a definite way of looking at life, and it's a lot different than ours. It's called the mind of Christ. And the Lord wants to help us have that, all right? And when we learn from him, here's what happens. He totally shifts your paradigm. Like the way that you view, he'll, he'll totally move it and change it. He'll change your way of thinking. Romans 12 talks about that. Let, let's look at this verse. Romans 12 too. Again, this is a scripture to Christians. He's saying, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, even though we live in it. But let God transform you into a new person. Well, how does that happen? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn. See, we have to learn this stuff. You'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Guys, this is why we, we just we implore you to get the Word of God in you continually. Like, read it, listen to it, speak it, pray it, declare it, sing it. The Word of God. Why? Because this is the way that He changes the way we think. This is the washing of the water of the Word. The Word renews our minds, okay? So, very important in this step, in this step of learning, Jesus, his perspective is always an eternal perspective. And we're trying to line ourselves up with that, that, that eternal perspective, right? I don't know if you know this, but Jesus didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about earthly nations and the kingdoms he lived in at the time. He didn't talk a lot about Rome. He really didn't talk that much about Israel. He certainly didn't talk a lot about America. I mean, listen, if he were here today, he would still be doing the same thing. He would be talking about the kingdom of heaven because that's what he spent his time doing because it's eternal and it's real. And he's asking us, if you're going to be a learner of mine, I need you to refocus off of these earthly things and onto the kingdom of heaven. Amen? So this can be a real great self-evaluation for us. In fact, let's do that right now. Just think about your life. Think about this. If all you ever think about are the things that are important on this side of eternity, like that's what dominates your thinking and your desires, is ju you just think about things that are on this side of eternity, then you're not very far along in this step of discipleship. And it's time to revisit this, okay? Because just like Jesus, we're not here to gather treasure in this life, but to store up treasure rather in the kingdom of heaven, okay? So, he said, don't stress over all the stuff in this world. In fact, he said, come hang with me. You're going to find rest. I'm also going to change the way you think, and I'm going to change your character. And this is why, look, this step of learning, it's, it's best done in relationship with other believers. And this is why Pastor Brandon gets on this stage 
I don't have to ask. I know that I know he does this. He asks all of you, aka begs you to get into a life group. And that's because he knows this, that this step is best performed in the middle of loving relationships. And one more thing about learning before I move on. This is so important, okay? Remember this. Learning that does not affect your lifestyle doesn't count for squat. We're not here to just soak up a bunch of knowledge. Whoever gets the most knowledge wins. That's not what we're about. No, Jesus said, how's it affecting your life? In other words, how's that knowledge you're learning? How does it influence other people around you for Christ? This is what it's about, all right? So that's the second step. Let's move on to the third one. In other words, all of what we're talking about there leads us to this third one, loving. Write that down, loving. Huge part of being a disciple of Christ. Loving other people, loving God. And this is where Jesus as a rabbi was so different than all the others. Because Jesus, unlike other rabbis in his day, he, he didn't just want to instruct his followers, okay? He wants relationship. He wants relationship. He wants friendship. Look at, look at this uh, verse in John 15, verse 15. He says this to his disciples. He's saying, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. In other words, I'm getting you all up into my business. Instead, I have called you friends. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus wants to call you friend. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. And here's how it happens, okay? As we fall more and more in love with Jesus, learn more and more about the way that he views life, we're going to learn to love people more. We're going to learn to love people the way he does. And this is part of being a disciple. Basically, it's like this. Jesus rubs off on us, and then we rub off on other people. Are y'all still following? So we're loving people. See, growing in love, this is a crucial element in discipleship under Jesus. I know some people that would say, hey, I love God, but man, people just aren't my thing. I mean, I just, well, let's see what Jesus said about it. John 13, 35, he said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's a powerful statement. So this is a requirement of being a disciple. This is one of the major steps, okay? So let's just evaluate ourselves again. How is my life going in this? For me, for my life, just think about that for you. Is your life still all about you? Is it still us four and no more in the Deerman household? Well, we have six, so it would be us six and no more. But that doesn't rhyme, but y'all get what I'm saying. It's like this is all I'm thinking about. Look, Jesus told us, no, we've got to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength first. And then, then what, what? We have to learn to love others like we love ourselves. Sometimes that's a lot, okay? And, and we know that takes the spirit of Christ because we know that we are all naturally selfish. If you didn't know that, ask your spouse, okay? Hey, I know you've heard this example before, but I'll prove it to you. Go into little life right now. I'm telling you, go, go in the two-year-old room. There is nobody, no two-year-old in there is, is, is looking at another two-year-old saying, here, take my cookies. I've had enough. Really? No, I insist. And the other one, no, I insist. No, I insist. You that ain't happening. It's the opposite, all right? They got knives out there. I mean, they're fighting. Over, I just helped Little Life Ministry a lot, didn't I? Who wants to serve? Anyway, listen. 
No baby comes out saying, hey, mom, is there anything else that I can do for you around here? I'm just here to serve. No, 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 no. We are basically selfish people, but Jesus is selfless. And we have to learn it. In his formal ministry on the earth, which was basically a three-year hike to the cross, is what it was for Jesus. From the time he woke up to the time he went to bed, he never stopped helping people. He healed them. He fed them. He gave them something to drink. He encouraged them. He spoke life into them. In fact, the only people he really rebuked harshly were the self-righteous religious people that were around in the day. Loving people like Jesus, it'll always cost you something. That's the cost of discipleship. It's going to cost you some inconvenience. Uh, it'll cost you some time. It'll cost you money sometimes. But listen, and I know your church understands this because you guys serve. Being the hands and feet of Jesus, isn't it like the most fulfilling spiritual act you can be engaged in? It just feels so right. That's because that's part of discipleship. I want to give you a quick story. And I know all of our locations can have stories like these, and they do. But uh, last year, I remember there was one couple in the Heber area, uh, there where we live, that they had just come out of, a, of an addiction lifestyle. And uh, we found out about them. They were trying to make a fresh start. And so that was that leaving stage for them, right? They were leaving. They were, and they were trying to be disciples of Christ. And so anyway, we, we found out about them. And they, they, like a lot of times, will happen with an addiction lifestyle. They didn't have really any resources to start a new life uh, for themselves and their daughter. They were trying to get into a new apartment but had no furniture. So our church was able to furnish their new place for them. Such a blessing. Uh, and uh, listen, our church was able to do that because of, because of people's giving. That is loving people well. Amen? It's also good, though, to get in the trenches and serve with your hands as well, just like Jesus did. Get your hands dirty with people. He did that. And I think that's also loving as well. Okay, but th this is so crucial. Loving God, loving people. This is discipleship. Final step. You ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Write this one down. Leading. This is a big step as well. Leading. In other words, you're leading other people. This is the culmination of discipleship. You're leading other people to follow Christ the way you do. This is what it's about. Look at Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Therefore go, Jesus said, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is what we're here for, okay? And I want to give you a, like a tip of the day. Because some of you, I think you really need this in your life. Listen, leading. When you start to lead other people, like, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. You put yourself like that. Like someone is looking at your life and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to model myself after this guy. Can I tell you, it brings a weight of responsibility to your life that actually helps your life. And I believe that's the way God designed it. He designed us to have this weight of responsibility. Look, you get somebody watching you and learning from you, do you think it's going to help your walk, walk with God? Oh, it will. It's going to help you pray better because you're going to be desperate. God, help me. It's going to help the way that you speak with your family members, the way you use your words in general, how you give, how you serve, the way everything, all of it, Okay. By the way, if you have kids, you're already in this process because they watch you all the time, whether you like it or not. 
You might even be an involuntary leader, but you're their leader. It's a lot like when I, when I drive. Listen, can I tell you something? I hate when people are following me when I'm driving. Anybody else like that? I, I don't like to. Why? Because of the weight of responsibility I'm talking about. I don't like it. I'd rather us just all put the address where we're going in our phones. And come on, let's just meet there. Because, frankly, because I want to drive the way I want to drive. And I don't want people behind me seeing me like that. And so, so we, we were down in South Louisiana last year helping out with hurricane relief. I was driving my truck. And uh, we had the church van following me with some really good people, faithful people from our church that just don't drive crazy. I mean, just good people, you know. And I knew they were following me, and I was trying to get to the first, first project we were going to work on. And uh, something happened with my, my Google Maps, and I realized, man, I just passed up the turn. So I whipped my truck to the left, and I turned quickly onto this road, and then I actually turned onto the off-ramp. <laughs> so, so like I'm going the opposite direction, right? Fortunately, no one was coming my way. But I looked in my mirror to see if the van was going to follow me. And it was, it was so good. Like, it was that one moment in time I was so happy that the good people of our church did not follow their pastoral leadership. It was like, yes, they just kept going, okay? But this is how it is. Listen, some of you, though, you need this in your life. It is the missing components in your discipleship. Because you, you don't have this weight of responsibility you need it. And some of you would say, well, I don't really have anything to offer. I, look, you have way more than you know. So much more. And hop in with us. We'll help you grow. But don't wait till everything's perfect. No, no, no. You can start leading in this way right now by grabbing somebody and saying, hey, you're going to come along with me. Come on, we're going to get in a life group together. We're going to serve in our church together. We're going to serve in outreaches together. We're going to, hey, we're going to pray together in the mornings. We're going to read the Bible. And can I say this? Y'all look at me. Everybody in this church, we need every one of you to be leading other people in this way in our church. We need you. The people in this church need you. So, Jesus said this. A disciple or a student is going to look like their master. A student is going to look like their teacher. Can you bow your heads all across this room? I want to pray for us.